interesting piece I'm reading here today, mostly focusing on cereal and how the labeling ob often doesn't capture or properly describe what's inside. Mary LeBay is a nutritional sciences professor emeritus at the University of Toronto and joins us for some perspective. Nice to have you again. Good morning, John. Okay, let's start with something I was saying just before the news as a tease, but I almost laughed out loud when I came across the blueberry cereal that doesn't actually have any blueberry in it. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And I mean, I think what's so hard for consumers is technically those packages actually meet the regulations. They're pretty close to the fine line, but that really doesn't help com consumers understand what's in that package. And you're absolutely right. If I read blueberry cereal, I would expect to have some blueberries in totally, totally what a consumer would expect. Wouldn't they normally have to put blueberry flavored cereal and, and actually be honest about it? You know, actually, that's what I would expect. And to me, that would be the sensible way. And interestingly, when I did the article with CBC, um, they actually had showed several packages. And I think the good example was the same company had a, a honey version of it, but that said honey flavored um, mini wheat. So, I mean, that's what you really would expect. And I think just that tiny, tiny little bit of writing in the bottom, you know, it was probably closer to a disclaimer statement than really telling consumers what's not in that package. There's another interesting case here where it was uh, vector cereal, and on the label it says 13 grams of protein in every serving, except it turns out there's not that many grams of protein in the cereal. That counts on the idea that you're going to put it in skim milk. So again, it's, it's not what's in the box. Yeah, exactly. And now that's, that's, see, that's the problem. That's another example where a product that absolutely, totally is complying with the regulations. But those regulations were for what products we'd call meal replacements. And I think you and I would expect to see them in with the supplements where those bars are, not mixed in with the breakfast cereal. So although it's compliant and totally consistent with the regulations, it doesn't help consumers to understand the difference. And that's totally what's going on here. And normally those products don't have to have milk added to them. They'd be a whole meal in a bar or in a powder, but many of those powders you have to add milk and you'd get exactly the same thing that's happening with, with the vector cereal. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but and I, and I think the problem isn't just with consumers, what consumer would actually understand that difference of what a meal replacement definition is when it's sitting there with every other breakfast cereal? So I don't blame that consumer for being to feel like he was being duped. New polls suggest that Canadians increasingly feel that they're not getting what they think they're supposed to get when they're consuming food products. So I wanted to touch on two other notions: uh, shrinkflation, which is to put less, you know, make the packaging smaller. And yeah, it's labeled as this many grams of chips, but you used to get, uh, you know, fifty. Now you're getting forty. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think. The problem is that I think nowadays, I, mean, I don't know if, if manufacturers have been doing that for ages. I expect there has been some of that, but I think there's just so much more of it these days. Um, instead of passing on increased prices, or maybe they're doing both, they're putting less package product in the package. And, you know, it's not saving the consumer any money. You're maybe paying a little less or the same price, but you're getting less food in it. And so it doesn't help your budget at all. No. And then there's skimpflation, which is uh, somewhat newer to me than shrinkflation. But that's the idea that the manufacturer starts using cheaper product to make the food. But and, and I guess there's no way they could warn you, by the way, we're using crappy butter. 
No, but I think there are ways that they can. And I think it's very similar to the um, breakfast cereal, where I think there's an example of, you know, it used to be a chocolate chip bar, and now it's chocolatey chip. At least they're telling you the word is different. Um, I think there's other things like you'll see um, palm oils added. So you no longer have ice cream there, you know, ice flavor, ice, you know, cream or frozen desserts. I mean, you see a lot of that. They tend to be labeled different, but many consumers that in terms of the colors, the pictures, the package, the brand name, they all look the same. And you'd have to be, you know, a detective going on an archaeological dig to find out on the, you know, on the label what the subtle change in name is or some fine print somewhere to see the difference. Does this threaten to sort of undermine the integrity of labeling and also the power of brands? I mean, if people believe they're being uh, exploited by the people who produce the product that they're buying and eating, they may not buy it anymore. You know, I, I think you're right. And I think there's always that risk. And I think if I were, you know, to give any recommendation, I think the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, who who really write the policies to help, in, you know, manufacturers interpret the regulations. In other words, they say that as long as you disclose somewhere in the bottom and fine print, you know, you're not violating the regulations. And I think they have to rethink about their labeling regulations and think of it also as a consumer protection. So in other words, how do those statements and how does that labeling have to be so it really helps the consumer understand what the product contains or what it's about um, rather than just making sure that the letter of the law is followed. And I don't think they're taking their role of protecting consumers and informing the consumers seriously enough, particularly in this day and age when consumers are so concerned about the food they're getting and getting the best value for the food they buy. Thanks so much for this. Good to talk with you. You're quite welcome. Take care and have a good day. Mary LeBay is an emeritus professor at the University of Toronto. Earlier this morning, we were talking with personal finance commentator uh, Patty Lovett-Reed about a new poll that suggests 82% of Canadians think the worry in a recession. Now, recession is a very technical thing, right? It's two negative quarters, and we haven't had that yet. So for economists, that's that would be the measure. But how Canadians feel about the general pulse of the economy is a big reveal about the fact that there may be something wrong with it. The vast majority of Canadians think we're already in a recession. And, you know, you sort of stand back and say, does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? I don't think it does. I think households look at their pocketbook. You know, a lot of the growth has been driven by immigration here in Canada, and the standard of living continues to fall. You know, when you when you just look at what we're spending at the grocery store, gas, heating, uh, these are affecting everyday families. And you can't lump all Canadians together, John. I, I mean, there are some who have their mortgages paid off and they say, okay, we have to pull back here because things are a little more expensive at the grocery store, but we've seen it before, we'll get through it. But if you're someone just starting out or you're worried about your mortgage that's up for renewal, we talk about rates coming down, but they're not there yet. That's Patty Lovett-Reed. She joined us this morning just after the news at 7, but I thought you'd enjoy a highlight from that conversation. 